Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I am, of course, your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today, as always, by my friend and co-host, Love Me Do, He'll Always Be True, it's Micah. I am true. I do, man. That's the best era of the Beatles. <laughs> I, know, I, I know love you. the Mophead Beatles so much. Love, love me do. Yeah. You know why though? You know why it's the best era, in my opinion. The song, the songs are simple and straightforward, and just they're really well written, and they're also short. Okay. There's not one of them that's over three minutes long. Oh, for sure, yeah. And and I feel like you hear it, and you're not done listening to the song by the time that it's over, and you just want to replay the song. There are a lot of songs that they do in that era where I go, man, like, hold hold my hand or hold your hand. Uh, I have listened to that like four times in a row just because I love the song. It's not this tool thing where they have an 11 minute song. Yeah. And by the time you're done with it, you're like, thank you, Jesus, that that song's <laughs> over. It's it, not Hey Jude where it's 15 words repeated for 10 minutes. Uh, see, that's the worst era of the Beatles, in my opinion. That's a hot take. I, I mean, yeah, I don't. I am not necessarily agree, but I once, hate once that again. Era. We got, you know what? I think your recommendation tonight is going to be their final album. <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. Which one's but, that one? Oh God! Let it be. Yeah, let it be. Yeah, mm, it's just, the one they record. It's back to their basics almost. So it is. It's still new. Like it's still towards the end of their. It, it's their last album. Yeah, but it was fully recorded live. As long as it's not Yellow Submarine era, I'll, I'll no. be okay. No, so they're not doing any of the tricks, and that was kind of the purpose of the album, get back to the roots and stop doing all these things. Because some of those last albums, before Let It Be, they would go, like, weeks without seeing each other. Yeah. They would come in, and John would record a part, and George would record a part, and it wasn't as cohesive. So that was kind of the point of Let It Be, is they... It's all recorded live together. They wrote the album in like a month yeah. and released. And it's one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. That it's one incredible. was the one, too, where on the cover, the Beatles are trying to tell us that Paul McCartney is dead. Yes. Yeah. We've been through that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you would like that one because it's much more of a traditional rock and roll album. I probably would. Well, I mean, I do like and if you watch some of the recordings of it because that's the one if you've ever seen them record like playing live on a rooftop yeah it's from that's those are the recordings of the album Hmm. and they're so fun like paul mccartney's up on a roof just like with his big smile oh yeah we're playing music again (laughs) he's just dancing around he's a fucking wizard dude you know uh alien ant farm did something very similar to that with one of their albums they not like sat in a room and recorded through the whole thing, mm-hmm. but they came to wherever the BET awards were being hosted and they started playing music on the roof of the building while uh, all of the rappers and R&B artists were going into the building. Oh, that's for, very for cool. The BET awards. <laughs> what are these crazy ass white boys <laughs> doing up on the roof? <laughs> Hey, folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at Get Wrecked Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep, I don't know what you're into. 
I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. So, Micah, this whole time we've been sitting here, we actually haven't introduced our guest yet. That's right. Yeah, the Bolton in the room. <laughs> yeah, the Bolton in the room. Um, joining us once again, one of our favorite guests to have on, IMDZ himself, Zach Bolton. Yep, glad to be back, guys. Uh, glad uh, that you were able to join me for uh, the podcast, and uh, thanks for being open to the recommendation. Yes, thank you for uh, having us on the podcast, Bolton. We really appreciate it. <laughs> we appreciate it. it. Yeah, I don't know if this thing would have happened if it weren't for Bolton being Pro- like, let's do it. Probably wouldn't have. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Um, probably in part because Bolton recommended this episode. Yeah, and like I honestly didn't really expect it to happen this quick. I was just kind of like I was listening to the Leon podcast, and I was like, "This for some, this makes me think of True Romance." I wonder if these guys have seen it. Let me, you know, just kind of put it out there and see how it goes. I can tell you exactly why it reminded you of True Romance, but we'll get into that in a little bit. I have a feeling I know where you're going, but yes, <laughs> we will get into that. So, so yeah, today, folks, we're going to be talking about True Romance, a 1990-something film with Christian Slater uh, and a whole freaking slew of cast Jesus. members. Jesus. Yeah, Holy so cow. Um, so, Bolton, give us a rundown here. Why'd you choose this thing? What's, uh, what's going through your brain? Um, True Romance was a movie that was recommended to me back in college. I had never heard of it. Uh, a friend of mine just kind of handed me a copy of it and was like, you need to watch this movie. And I was like, True Romance, what's this? You know, I'm not into like love flicks. And they're like, no, it's not a, like it is, but it's not like you need to watch it. So I sat down and I, I was hooked the first time I watched this movie. This is easily probably top five movies for me all the time. But anyway, we'll get into a quick rundown. Uh, 1993 by director Tony Scott, who's known at the time for Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder. Pretty well-renowned director at the time. Uh, movie was written by one of my favorite directors, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, this was like his first, you know, big step into Hollywood stardom. Right. Yeah, he didn't direct it, though, yeah? No, he didn't direct it, so he wrote the script and sold it. And he actually used the money that he got from it to help fund Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. One of, it might be my favorite. When we were talking about this, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I was like, I'm not certain. Nice. I feel vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard random knowledge and retained it. (laughs) (laughs) Reservoir Dogs might be my favorite Tarantino film. Might be. It is really good. It's it's really, really good. Um, Yeah. So... I had seen this previously. It had been a little while since I've seen it. I think that the last time I watched it was based on your recommendation many moons ago. We might have actually watched it yeah. together I at a movie be, night or something. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. I know that you've loved this movie for a long time. Um, but Thor had not seen it. So, Thor. Uh, initial thoughts. What are you thinking? It definitely feels like a Tarantino film. Like You kind of get that right off the bat as far as the dialogue sure the di- yeah i think the, it, it opens up with with dialogue the way that any tarantino film does yeah just while like i said my first note on for my notes on this film was i'd fuck elvis <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah christian slater's character does have a weird uh fascination for what is his uh, his name is it uh clarence. Clarence. clarence that's what it was i was gonna say clive but i knew that that wasn't correct clarence Worley. 
Clarence Worley. Yeah, so Clarence falls in love with a call girl, and she falls in love with him, too. And her name's Alabama. Yeah. What a stupid... <laughs> <laughs> like, because my assumption at first was, oh, that's her That's her hooker name. Nope, that's just nope, her that's, name. That's her real that's name. That's just her name, Alabama. <laughs> she didn't even have to change it. That's like if I named my son Pennsylvania. <laughs> It's a, it's a good name for a son. It's a good name for <laughs> a son. Pennsylvania Jolly. <laughs> Pennsylvania Jolly. Yeah. I would name mine Utah, I think. Like Johnny Utah from Point Break? I mean, <laughs> just Did so you have you... your child in Utah? No. Because that's why she's clearly from Alabama. That's yeah, why her name's Alabama. Sure. Oh, I just thought we were naming random names. <laughs> uh, I, would, no. I would just go with Utah, and that, that way when he grows up, he can be like, Utah, but I'm Utah, but you're taller. Oh, your dad jokes are ah, real. Ugh, <laughs> ugh, I hate you so much right now. You disgust me, you pig. <laughs> oh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so this movie has a crazy cast. Dude, it's it. insane. We're watching the credits just at the beginning of the movie, and Kendra's looking at me and she's like, what? What? Brad Pitt? And then say it's like Brad Pitt, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. fucking Christopher Walken, James Gandolfini. Yep. Uh, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yep. Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, uh, Dennis Hopper. I I mean, there's just a slew of people. It's insane. Movie. It's like the most 90s cast ever, too. Can I say <laughs> also how funny it is that Val Kilmer is like the second or third name on on the credits? For the right? billing. The, in, yeah, the billing at the beginning. And he plays he plays a fictional character you never even see his face. Yeah, so funny so story about that. So he is listed as mentor. They couldn't call him Elvis because then they would have owed Elvis's estate money. Interesting. For using his likeness or his name in a movie. So they just called him Mentor. <laughs> Val Kilmer shot for two days. He spent eight hours in the makeup chair each day, and you don't even see him what? directly either time. Did, well, <laughs> they put a whole wig on him and everything? I, or I, I guess no one knows. Yeah, because you, you can't even tell that it's Val Kilmer. Yeah, because uh, you don't see the face at all. That's crazy. Yeah, no, at first I thought it was Brad Pitt. Because oh, that, you don't that, see the yeah. face at all, and I'm like, it kind of has that tone. I was like, maybe it's Brad Pitt doing a weird voice. Yeah. Yeah, no, Brad Pitt was playing the stoner friend. Yeah, once I looked up on I I looked up something on IMDb and I'm like, oh, that's Val Kilmer? Like, why is he listed third? I expected him to be a major (laughs) part of the story. I think what's great (laughs) about... Which he is, but like not scene-wise. I think what's great about this cast is you have so many big names. And I don't want to say that Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette aren't big names, especially for the 90s. But they're arguably two of like the like lower ranking names in this movie, but they're the main characters and all these other big actors and actresses are just kind of there helping them through this movie. And I think that just makes everything better. We're we're cause I know Christopher Walken at this point is a real deal, actual factual movie star. What about some of the other people? Cause my, my interpretation of it, having not seen this and not being super familiar with that time period, I was like, Oh, we're getting to see, a cast that ended up going on to be super huge movie stars, but I thought most of them at that point in time were maybe still a little bit uh, lesser known, or at least not movie well, stars. Well, I think Dennis Hopper 
probably started in the 80s. So yeah. Hopper was probably established at that point. Kilmer, I want to say, was probably already established at Top that Gun. point. Oldman, I think, was actually coming off of Leon at this point. Yeah, I was actually curious which one was first. I didn't check the date. I'm dates. pretty sure Leon came first. Brad Pitt, this was one of his big like first movies, but I think Thelma and Louise might have came first. Okay. Walken, Samuel Jackson like had nothing before this. Like all his big stuff came after the fact. Yeah. Uh Gandolfini, this was like basically what jump started his career because this was before Sopranos. Yeah. And then this this movie was what got him hired for Sopranos. Yeah, I was actually reading that uh somebody suggested him for Tony and they were like, no, nah, we don't even know who this guy is. And they just showed them clips of him playing Virgil from True Romance. And they're like, okay, sold. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, dude. So. It was intense, right? Dude. Well, <laughs> oh, my God. I love him in this movie. All right. So, Bolton, you said, you said that this movie reminds you of Leon or Leon reminds you of this movie. Um. They both kind of remind me of each other, especially okay. when I was listening to your guys' podcast, because it's like this early 90s stylized violence. Kind of wasn't big at the box office, but got a huge cult following sure. after the fact kind of flick. Um, and then there are connections, which I'm not sure if this is where you were going earlier, but so in this movie, Gary Oldman. Yeah, I was going to say, are, Gary Oldman playing an absolutely insane character again? Yeah. So, <laughs> so here's here's my here's what I was thinking about this film. And you guys can let me know if I'm wrong. This could be, could be an alternate reality of Leon the Professional. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. Hey. I, you have my attention. Because Gary Oldman's character is quintessentially... The white Jamaican dude from Leon the Professional. <laughs> he said in, in an interview he based Drexel off of Willie One Blood. Oh, yeah. So okay. you're like right wait, on no the way, money. really? Yeah. Okay. All right. So in addition to that, Christian Slater's character marries a prostitute slash call girl, which happens to be the father-mother duo of Leon the Professional. Uh. A little stretch, but okay. No, what do you mean a little stretch? That's what they were. Certainly the dynamic, I, a the little dude, bit, yeah. The I dude it. is yeah. selling drugs as if he is a drug dealer, and the wife is a prostitute slash call girl. There's a parody there. 100%. And then they go and have a kid together. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm just saying. Alternate reality. These two get shot down in a hallway next to Natalie Portman. I'm just saying. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So do you want to know why Gary Oldman took this role? Yeah. Because so, he wanted to do the most racist accent and play <laughs> the most racist character ever portrayed on film. And he's like, yes, please. I would like to attempt that. Day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was really I was looking at him like he's confused. <laughs> so basically, Tony Scott handed him the script in an interview and Gary Oldman said what part am I reading like what is this guy and he, Tony Scott said you're playing or I want you to read for Drexel you are a white guy who thinks he's black and he's a killer pimp and Gary <laughs> Gary Oldman handed him the script back and said I'll take it didn't didn't read it didn't go over it didn't ask any just like I'm okay I'm God in god damn it I love Gary Oldman <laughs> yeah Gary Oldman's kind of great this show is uh Made me realize how much I love Gary Oldman. He's so good. He's so good. Have you seen him in Batman? 
Um, what was that? Oh, I have. Oh, you know, I read an interesting, uh, I'll send it to you. I read an interesting, like, uh, quote from the guy who was directed Batman Forever. Okay. Schumacher? The one that everybody hates. Oh, that's Batman and Robin, but also Schumacher. Maybe. Yeah, but- <laughs> I, th- I think it was Batman Forever. Um, in any case, it was the guy, not Schumacher, it was another guy who worked on it. And essentially, he was explaining what some of the issues were with that movie is essentially the studios at that point in time, a lot of their funding was being driven by uh, toy sales. So like McDonald's, the Happy Meals and stuff. Yeah. And so they were directed to make those films more colorful and more kid friendly. And they wanted every hero and every villain to have two different costumes. They wanted every hero and every villain to have a, a vehicle so that they could sell more Happy Meal toys and sell more, you know, toys at Walmart on the shelves and stuff. Like yeah, that. that's definitely Batman and Robin. Then, if that quote is about that, on the on the picture for the article I was reading, it was the one with Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. That's with Alicia yeah. Silverstone. Is that yeah. Batman and Robin? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's Batman and Robin because Batman Forever had Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones okay. as Riddler and Two Face. Yeah, and they said they wanted three villains. So yep. that would have been that would have been Mr. Freeze, Ivy Boys and Bane. And Bane oh, yeah. and Bane. Bane was in that too. He's yeah. in it's it, but so he's so wasted that. in that movie. Yeah, he's basically. Oh, just that's a right. Big... Poison Ivy like creates mm. him. Yeah, right? he's basically Poison Ivy's henchman in that movie. Yeah, he's yeah. a waste of. He's not Bane from the comic books. Yeah, at sorry all. to get sidetracked on that, man. I just <laughs> thought that was interesting because I know. <laughs> I mean, I started it as a joke, but I will always talk about Batman. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, Zach, we're done with true romance. Yeah, we're just right. going on to Batman. <laughs> recommendation. So we're we're in the theory, Batman. Man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> Thor, what are your? I mean, give me give me what you liked about the movie, what you didn't like about the movie. Uh, what were your overall thoughts? You felt you said if you felt like it was a Tarantino film. Yeah, right away. The dialogue gives it away immediately. Yeah, I said I like that first scene. It just comes in he's like i'd fuck elvis and just him <laughs> i really love his obsession with elvis i think it's it's such a like just a quirky piece of the film that kind of like drives his whole character motivation mm-hmm. like yeah he just wants to be that surly badass like how he's describing elvis in the beginning of the movie to that girl is how he wants to be exactly well yeah. i really enjoyed the part where he just finds the guy reading the magazine about elvis Oh, like yeah, he just jumps magazine. in like their best friends. He starts chatting about him, and he's like, he's read that article multiple times. He's immediately like, here, flip. He grabs the magazine <laughs> from him and flips through. He's like, here, read this read this part of the article. It's great. It's awesome. He just tells him what's in it. Yeah, I think my favorite, it was kind of like a throwaway line in it, but he goes, they get it from everybody. They talk about the music fans, the producers, like the true crazy like fans. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite part is when he talks about how crazy the fans yeah. are. Yeah. And this guy's just looking at him like, you're one of them. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great scene. I think all, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I understand a, I've heard a lot about this movie of as far as people say, I love it, it's great, and I knew it was kind of Tarantino's jumping off point to make the stuff he wanted to make. How does this movie compare to what Tarantino's vision was? Do we know? So, uh, I, I was looking up a lot about like the whole process behind this, so I want to say the guy's name was Steve Avery, wrote like a 50-page kind of like draw up for a story that he envisioned called The Road. And he couldn't, like, figure out what he wanted to do with it. And I guess this guy was friends with Tarantino and handed it to him and said, here, 
why don't you see what you can do with what I've come up with so far? And Tarantino wrote 500 pages of script. <laughs> of course he did. So All dialogue. Yeah. yeah. So what actually happened was the script was so big, but there was two different actual stories in it. So the movie Natural Born Killers okay. with Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis mm-hmm. was actually the other half of this script. So instead of shipping it all as one gigantic movie, they split it up into two. One of them became Natural Born Killers, and then the other one became... That's interesting. True Romance. So Tarantino wrote Natural Born Killers? So I think what happened was once they split it off, he kind of pawned it off onto... Well, not pawned it off, but he gave it to somebody else and said, see what you can do with this. And then they kind of twisted it. Because from what I understand, the original story was supposed to be... Like, Natural Born Killers happens, but then Robert Downey Jr.'s character, the journalist... Mm -hmm flees from those two and he hides out in Hollywood or something like that and true romance is the story that he writes while he's in hiding huh okay but then they kind of like split it like it was kind of convoluted and I can see why they split it up like I think it definitely worked like splitting them up obviously but sure well I mean because both of those movies became cult classics then. oh my god yeah yeah Oliver Stone did natural Born Oliver Killers, Stone yeah. did yeah. okay hmm yeah, I, I'd be curious to see if Quentin Tarantino were to direct this, how much different it would be. Um, I know, like, some of the things that, like, the ending was a big thing with him, which we'll get to the ending then, Yeah, I'm sure. But, I mean, he loved it. And, I mean, there's a scene in the movie that he said, he wrote specifically, uh, it was the scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, the eggplant the scene. The best scene in the film? Oh, that scene's phenomenal. It's fucking incredible. I watched it twice. Tarantino wrote that after hearing two friends have that exact same argument in his house. <laughs> like they, he, he was living with a friend, and he came home, and this friend had another friend over the one day, and this was the argument that they were having. And he sat down and listened and was like, this is phenomenal. This needs to go in something. <laughs> Only Quentin Tarantino yeah. is like... This needs to be in a movie. This guy, this this white dude telling an Italian dude that, like, you're descended from black folks with a not-so-nice word. Yeah, <laughs> just to specifically yeah. piss him off, too. Oh, yeah, he, I mean, but anyway, like, he wrote that, and, he, like, he envisioned it in a movie, and then when it came out, he saw it, and he actually hates that scene because it's too good. He <laughs> said there's no reason that scene should be that good. <laughs> I mean, if you look at just the actual dialogue, sure, I I get that because it is kind of like it's a stupid argument. But the way they like all the subtext of what's going on. Oh, yeah. In Mm -hmm. that film of like Dennis Hopper realizing like, oh, I'm not going to get out of this. I'm about to be killed. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Walken playing it like he's laughing. at He's cool. And this whole time he knows he's about to kill this guy. And he's just and it's like this them both playing this game and they both know exactly what's about to happen, but they're just both acting like it's not. And it's, Oh my God, dude, it's so good. So Those for, two together. Yeah. Is pretty incredible. So for anyone that's listening, that's a little confused. Basically Dennis Hopper is Christian Slater's dad and Christian Slater, uh, as Clarence and Alabama go to visit the dad after they get married. And, uh, basically the mob's kind of on to them and they arrive after the fact and Dennis Hopper, even though he has an estranged relationship with his son, 
you know, like you said, Thor realizes that he's not getting out of this. So he's just going out swinging. And like, there's a moment like during that scene, like after he's like laid down everything and he's using all these slurs to come after Walken where his face, like he has this little smile, like, yeah, I got him. And then it immediately changes to this frown and he's smoking a cigarette. Like, all right, that was all I got. This is all I can do. I'm just going to sit back and let it happen now. (laughs) Yep. And then you have that beautiful line where it's like walking laughs and he's like, this guy's crazy. He comes up and kisses him. (laughs) You're a cantaloupe. (laughs) And Dennis Hopper's character looks at him and says, you're an eggplant. (laughs) (laughs) It makes no sense. You're part eggplant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but intense scene. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's so well done. I mean, it, it the like the tension is palpable. It's that mm-hmm. that kind of scene where you just feel the tension. Kind of similar to uh the the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs. One of those where it's just uh, there are more people in the room in this scene, but it's really about two people trapped in a room and just kind of building the tension between them. You mean like with the torture scene? Is yeah, that what you're exactly. talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, with the ear scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so, I, I I think uh, there's a lot of parallels between that and this. Yeah. That might be my favorite scene in that movie. Weirdly <laughs> saying, that is a weird torture scene, scene you know, like. <laughs> is my fa- I just thought that it was really really well done. So Christian, can we talk about how Christian Slater is probably off his rocker in this movie. Oh my god, Dude, yeah. I loved the turn with that. Because he just seems like a normal guy. His boss tries to get him laid, hires yeah. a hooker, and all of a sudden he falls in love with yep, her. He's right? having the time and of his life. You have yeah. no it's like 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Dude's nuts. All of a sudden he's talking to Elvis in the mirror and like literally so once again, here are my notes. Surprise! Clarence is insane. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. Great turn. Yeah, well, you really start seeing the turn at the tattoo parlor after they get married when Alabama first starts talking about her being a call girl and having a pimp and everything because, like, like they're kind of all in a good mood. You know, they just got married. They're getting these matching tattoos, and then she says that, and you see him looking in a mirror, and, like, he just kind of immediately gets this frown. He's like, how'd you end up with a son of a bitch like that? Yeah. And, like, that's the real start of him, like, just starting to turn. Well, yeah, he just seems dark there, though. But, I mean, the turn, once he's actually talking to the guy oh, in the mirror, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, what what is going on? That's, that's honestly, because the first 20 minutes of the movie, I wasn't sure how I felt. Because I'm like, it's, it's a silly story. She's like, I'm a, like, some lady shows up and, yeah, your boss hired me to fuck you. And he calls her a whore. You're a whore. I'm not a whore. I'm a call girl. And Patricia Arquette with her teeth too big for her mouth. And and like, and I was just like, I'm not sure. How I, and the accents are, honestly, the accents I don't love. They feel a little bit comical. Yeah. But well, it's what it is. Sure. So I wasn't sure how I felt about the movie. I'm like, I don't know where this is going. I'm not that interested. And then he started talking to Elvis in the mirror saying he was going to get her stuff from the pimp. And I'm like, I'm fully in because some <laughs> weird shit's about to happen. And I was not let down. Oh, yeah. yeah. That whole thing's great because, like, he's trying to, like, talk it over in his head. And Elvis is essentially his internal monologue. 
and he, like Elvis basically tells him, like, ain't nobody gonna miss a pimp. Go ahead, go, you know. Yeah, go kill him. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead and kill this guy. Nobody's gonna care. Getting away with it's the easy part. Yeah, you just gotta do oh, it. Oh, yeah, I love that line. He's like, getting away with it's the easy part. Yeah. Killing him is the hard part. Yeah. I also, like, so that scene happened, and I remember thinking, okay, he's a little bit nuts. And then when he walks in and speaks with Gary Oldman, just completely calm, mm-hmm. stone face. It's like, oh, this guy's a stone cold killer. Yeah. He might not have done anything yet, but, but he's going to. Yeah. He's going to confront a drug dealing pimp with a bunch of bodyguards. This guy works at a comic book store. Yeah. He's a dork who works at a comic book store, and now all of a sudden he's fucking John McClane. What? <laughs> well, yeah. He's fully, he's a full psycho. Well, like, outside of just reading comic books, which I'm sure he gets a lot of, like, his, like, badass ideas from that, like, he goes and just watches kung fu movies, and he knows all these, like, action movies by heart, and he's sitting there, and, you know, he's watching all these in his apartment in his spare time, and, like, I'm sure he's thinking, like, I've seen it. I can do it. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to be exactly who these guys are. I'm not going to take any shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he just goes in and starts pretending it's a Kung Fu movie. And somehow it works out. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a great scene. <laughs> Which I also think is very funny because a big driver of this story is the fact that in his he's crazy. So in his brain, he thinks he's Elvis. He thinks he's a Kung Fu guy. He thinks he's Elvis doing Kung Fu in the movies, right? (laughs) But he's not. He's a guy who works at a comic book store. Because after he kills this pimp and his bodyguards, he just leaves his license. And and that's like the whole crux of the film, really, is he grabs her stuff and accidentally grabs a suitcase full of cocaine. Yeah. But his dumbass leaves his ID there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how the mob... Because he's not a professional. Yeah. He, yep. he is not a tough guy. He's just a psychopath who got lucky. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, um, where did where did he end up going to? Did they go to California? Yeah. So they went to the dad's first right. because the dad was a retired cop, but and he just as... he just wanted to see if there was any chatter about the murder sure. going on and. Basically, there was no chatter. The dad says, I think you actually did the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, we're going to go see my friend Dick in Hollywood. Allen, in right? Hollywood. Yeah. And Dick is a struggling actor who lives with Floyd, who is Brad Pitt. And he basically thinks, if I go to Hollywood, there's all these people out there, you know, who are in the mo- in the movies. And, you know, they might be able to use the- these drugs, basically, that we have acquired and we're going to go sell them and, you know, see if we can make some money. And, you know, me and Alabama can go and live a happy life after that. Yep. Dude, there's a, a really awesome part of it because it's basically like a million dollars worth of cocaine. And they're just trying to sell it for like 200 grand. They're trying to flip it as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And I so when they started saying we're going to sell it for 200 grand, I'm like, these idiots like I know it's the early 90s. I'm like, 200 grand is not like a ton of money. Like, you can live a couple years off that. But then they even have a line of dialogue that addresses it where they're finally trying to sell it. And the guy's like, I don't trust what's going on. He's like, look, we're minimum wage kids. 200 grand is a bunch of, I I loved it because it's, 
It's like noting what could be conceived as a plot hole in the film. And it's just such a real downer. Because if I got, if I somehow stumbled upon a million dollars worth of cocaine, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm like, I just want rid of it. Give me like something. Give me a couple hundred grand for it. Because mm-hmm. that's exactly the same way. <laughs> And he's like trying to tell the buyer what to do with it. He was like, go ahead, cut it up, sell it in smaller doses. You'll make a hell of a lot more. I don't care. I just I just want my money so I can go. Yeah, that that kind of goes to show just how in just how over his head he was, because he totally messes up with the whole mob situation. And then he's just like, let's just sell this. And everybody like the guy that he's talking to to sell it obviously has a bunch of concerns because it's raising red flags everywhere. Yeah. He comes out of nowhere. He's trying to sell a million dollars worth of cocaine just for 200 grand. <laughs> and he's like, no, we need to sell it in one go. I don't want to cut it up and sell it lots. Yeah, we're on a time crunch. It yeah. needs to happen now. So all of these things are red flags. Like it's, it's no wonder that things go down the way that they'll go down. Yeah, no, he's, Clarence is... I think Clarence is pretty smart, even though he's <laughs> clearly insane. But I think he handles it smart. I love Clarence. I love the Clarence character because you can't really get a, a beat on him. He's he's a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, he's actually a pretty smooth talker and actually a guy who actually gets stuff done. He's a salesman. He's, mm-hmm. for he's sure. a smart yeah, he guy. Really is. Yep. Yeah, and it, basically as the story progresses, they get out to uh, they get out to California. They uh, go to see uh, Clarence's friend Dick Ritchie, played by uh, Michael Rappaport, who is more of a character actor, TV, that kind of stuff. Nothing really too big under his belt, unless you love Deep Blue Sea. That and <laughs> <laughs> that uh, a fairly popular show on Netflix called Atypical. It's about a family with a son who's autistic. He plays the dad on that. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to see that he has more bigger roles because he is a good actor, but I always feel like he's kind of in these smaller roles. Because he, yeah. he has like 200 some acting credits to his name and it's all like one episode of this, one episode of this, one episode of this. Big character Gosh. in this movie. I yeah. would hate to be an actor for that situation. I think it'd be fun to be a character actor. Like It might be cool. I uh, Just for me, like not knowing what you're going to get into. I don't know. Maybe if... Maybe those type of actors kind of fall into the same category that musicians do who just come in and play music for individual artists and they're just recording musicians and they're on, you know, 200 records. Maybe it's a situation like that where they're just, oh, let's get this guy. He's been in you know 50 episodes of CSI. He'll be great. Yeah. So we get to Hollywood. We meet Dick Ritchie, who lives with Brad Pitt as Floyd, who is the biggest stoner. In Hollywood, probably at this it's a point. little it's a little over the top. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean it is. kind of fits it. The movie I like that the movie is kind of lighthearted and is not like it's a very it is a serious film, but it definitely has its points. It's of lighthearted like, moments, of, of yeah, humor, yeah, for sure. I think it's a weirdly happy film. <laughs> I mean, it's I called True Romance. Yeah. So. <laughs> like everybody is so delusional in this film that they just can't <laughs> help but be happy. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so Clarence is hoping that, you know, Dick with his, you know, hopeful Hollywood, you know, contacts knows somebody who can use all this coke. Yep. And he has a friend in his acting class, uh, Elliot Blitzer, played by Bronson Pinchot, who works for this high level producer in Hollywood. 
and they meet up and negotiations start happening. Yeah. Are you talking about the negotiations over the phone? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they start talking and, and that's where Christian Slater's like, look, we're going to do this now. We need to do it now. If we don't do it now, uh, we're gone. Like, and you're missing out on it. So, yeah. And then he, he calls his buddy or the, the acting friend calls the producer. Yeah. Uh, Lee Donowitz, who's this big Hollywood producer and fun tie-in. He is the grandson of Sergeant Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Eli Ross character, the what? bear Jew. Yeah. That is his grandson. Tarantino confirmed it. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Tarantino what? does yeah, it again. It makes no sense at all. At all. But, you know, he likes to have these little, like, family connections and stuff like that. And somebody asked him, I guess, you know, they have the same last name. What's going on? And he said, he yep, said that's Lee is Donnie's grandson. So in the world of true romance, Hitler's dead. Yeah, basically. Interesting. Yeah, that's an that's some interesting lore. I that, enjoy that. This. Is some fun lore. Well, even in our world, Hitler is dead, Micah. You bring up a fair point, Thor. You know, you bring up a fair point. You know what I meant, Thor. Oh man. So yeah, Elliot gets Lee on the phone, and he's trying to you know negotiate with him. And Lee kind of seems like a hard ass boss. You know, he doesn't want to talk to. You know, his underlings on the weekend, you know, some guy cuts him off on the highway and he says, I'll fucking have you killed, yeah. <laughs> which cracks me up every time I watch it. And he's like, well, I don't want to talk to Clarence. I don't want to talk to this guy. And Clarence just takes the phone. And he's like, hey, Lee, you know, are we going to do this or not? And like you said, you know, if this doesn't happen, we're gone. Yeah. And he actually gets Lee for a moment because Lee's like, oh, hold on, you know, you know, I'm not saying I don't want this, you know. And, you know, that leads to you know, them wanting to actually meet up and get this deal done. Yeah. that That's another scene I like with Clarence where he right away, he's watched so many movies that like he knows how to talk discreetly about drugs, even though he's never been a drug dealer. They start talking like he's pitched trying to sell him a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really is using his nerd knowledge and trivia through the entire film to get him through the, through all of the acts of the movie. That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. I hadn't caught that before. I really enjoy the scene where the producer's in the car and he gets all the cocaine shot into his face. <laughs> oh, yeah. When Elliot, he, he has that girl in the car with him and she just kind of smacks it away. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets pulled over for speeding and he tries to get her to hide the cocaine and it doesn't go well, which leads to Elliot being arrested. Mm-hmm. And he gets pulled in and there's these hard-ass Hollywood cops now played by... Uh, was it uh, Tom Sizemore and Nick Penn? Not Nick Penn. Not Sean Penn. Chris Penn. Yeah. Sean Penn's brother. Uh, and they're like, look, you know, you don't want to go to jail. You know, who's, you know, who are you buying this for? What's going on? And basically, you know, he turns into the biggest snitch ever because he's just trying to save his own tail. Yeah. He's a worm the whole movie. Oh, he's, he really is. And... You know, they basically convince him that he's going to go into this deal wearing a wire. And not only are they going to get <laughs> Dude, this big Hollywood producer selling Coke, but they're going to get Clarence. I love the detectives. You said it's oh, time Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn. A Penn. Chris Penn. Um, I love them. They were they were a lot of fun. I like because as they're listening to stuff going on, they're they're like listening in to the drug deal and they're hearing Clarence and they're like, 
I like this guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the back and forth. They're like, oh, he's not going to shoot him. Oh, shit. He's going to shoot him. He's not going to shoot him. He's going to shoot him. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like this Clarence. He's a wild man. Yeah. Now, is it while he's out doing that that James Gandolfini? Yeah. So uh, shortly before that. Shortly before that. Because she comes with that right after oh, that. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. He's out. I I think he's doing the meat to kind of let to let them test out the coke. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he James Gandolfini just starts bag, yeah. fucking wailing on Alabama. Yeah. yeah, he goes out to get him food and drops Alabama off at the hotel. And basically, when she goes in, Virgil, played by Gandolfini, sitting there waiting on her, and she tries her best to, you know, play coy. Like I don't know who you're talking about. You know, I think you have the wrong person, and he's not falling for yeah, it. He's at all. None of it, dude. That's probably honestly, it's kind of tied between that and the scene with Christopher Walken as to what my favorite part of this movie is. Is it either racial slurs and a man about to be executed, <laughs> or is it, or is it a man brutally assaulting a woman? I'm not sure which one it is, but I both, I like them both. A whole lot. I mean, he gets his comeuppance. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he. Yeah, that whole scene is just acted so well by Gandolfini because he starts talking about killing people, and he starts talking about how the first one's a bitch, and then after that, he's like, "I just do it to watch their expression change." Now, <laughs> what a oh, brutal line! He oh, says, "The first oh. one's the hardest." first one's tough it really sits with you yeah and he starts and the, talking about another assassin he was like i bet the first one that he killed with that rifle was the worst but after that eh, they probably weren't so bad yeah. <laughs> he's like then the second one it's still tough it's still tough but it's not it's a little bit more numb by the third one it's pretty easy and then after that it's nothing and then so he says i kill him just to see the expression change yeah fucking brutal yeah intense because there are a lot of films that have kind of like a cold disconnected killer giving that type of monologue that may be one of the best lines i've ever heard from them i kill them just to see their expression change <laughs> like fucking brute he's like basically saying i'm dead inside and this is the only enjoyment i get yeah he really is at that point and, and now i'm about to kill you <laughs> how terrifying would it be to hear somebody say that yep and i mean like you said he's wailing on her and just you know going to town and she just will not give up you know where clarence is won't give up the location of the drugs i gotta give patricia arquette a little uh, some credit she can take a punch <laughs> i like that she's he, tough broad yeah i like that he is like why don't you why don't you turn around for me real quick and and she starts turning and he goes no no turn the no, other turn way the other so way. that she can turn into the punch and then he gets this <laughs> shit-eating grin on his face and he's just like like gets this la-di-da look like he's so proud of himself yeah <laughs> and yeah these two are going at it uh, she finds a corkscrew and like holds it up in defense and he's just kind of like, oh, you know, please, you know, like make my day. I'll give you one hit. Just come on. I'll give you this one hit. And, you know, not quite what he was expecting. He was <laughs> expecting a shot to the face or the chest. Bam. Corkscrew right through the foot. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a that's another one where it's kind of it took a turn where she's going to grab it. And I'm like, oh, really? She's going to kill him with a stupid corkscrew? And then he addresses it. Is like, what, you're going to kill me with a corkscrew? This wacky broad? What's she going to do? That, that was another, like, nice turn in the story that I like. Kind of like just an un- unexpected way to take that. Yeah. So, Thor, what were your... How do you, how do you feel about the ending? Riding off into the sunset, having a kid together. You know You're going to talk you about know, that and you not know the what? Mexican standoff? Well, the Mexican standoff is pretty awesome. That's pretty... Yeah, so before we get to the ending... Uh, Clarence is trying to sell the drugs to what's the Hollywood producer's <laughs> name? Lee Donowitz. I really like that guy. Who, who his name? His name is Saul Rubinek, and I haven't really seen him in much else. I love his character. He oh, plays yeah. a great, oh, like kind of so grimy, good. shitty Hollywood producer. Yeah. Uh, so I guess they were trying to base him off of producer Joel Silver, which I want to say Silver did he produce the Batman movies? But you know the name, right, Micah? You know yeah. the name, Joel Silver. But I guess they were trying to base his character off of that, and they said that he nailed it perfectly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically they go in, drug deal starts happening, the cops are listening in, waiting for the uh, for the go-ahead, waiting for the exchange of money. At the same time, you know, the mobsters who have gone and found Floyd Dick's roommate and pretty much... You know, got him while he was stoned off his ass. <laughs> he just gives all the information. Yeah, he just away. gives up all the. Inf- <laughs> they're at the. You know, they're at the Ambassador Hotel. The drug deal's going down. They're all there. Have at it. <laughs> oh, you know, fun fun thing about, or at least something that I read about Brad Pitt's character. Evidently, that character was inspiration for the Pineapple Express movie. I read that too. Yeah. Yeah. They. they said, I can see that. They said that they wanted to see a movie where. That guy left his couch and got involved in all the shenanigans. Yeah, and got followed around <laughs> by the monsters. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 I didn't think that Pineapple Express was that great, but I kind of want to see it now. After you, oh, watching you've never True seen Man. Pineapple no, no, Express? I've, I've seen it, but I just I want to rewatch it with, the, with that vision. I haven't watched that movie in years, and from what I was always told, and like I haven't smoked, so I couldn't verify this. Is that apparently if you light up in the beginning of the movie, you are coming down at the end of the movie, and the end of the movie basically recaps the entire synopsis of what happened. Oh, that's so. Funny. If you miss anything from the movie, they just tell you they what happens you. in the end of the movie. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But anyway, so this drug deal is going down. <laughs> the cops bust in with all their guns, and then the mob busts in with all their guns. And uh, the producer has his own hired guns. Dude, I love that part, too, when he first get there. And what's the guy's name? Victor or something? Oh, uh, it's like, is it, was it Marty or Victor? It's something like that. It, yeah, I yeah, can't Yeah, it's remember. something. And he's, like, giving uh, Clarence a hard time. He's like, this guy has a gun on him. And the producer is just like, dude, he's really? cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's cool. Just go get us some tea. <laughs> oh, Boris. His name was yes, Boris. Boris. But yeah, and then Christian Slater's just like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. Look, here's my gun. If you want, I'll just lay it down on the table. And he's, yeah, that's all right. Well, yeah, once it. again, another classic example of him being like so in over his head. He's just honest. In this situation, he's just fully honest. He's like, yeah, I was scared. So I brought a gun. Please don't kill me. I just want to get rid of this cocaine. <laughs> 
but yeah, like the deal gets approved. He goes into the bathroom where he has his second encounter with mentor. Yeah. Who's basically telling him all of the right things and, you know, boosting his ego. All oh, he loves you. You were so cool about it. Everything went great. You know, you really killed this Clarence. And as he's in the bathroom, just shooting starts happening. <laughs> Bodies start piling up. Basically, Lee finds out that, you know, the little worm was a snitch, a snitch and yeah. was wearing a wire. And what's so funny about his character, because he treats him like shit, but... As like he's like he starts crying because he's so torn about the fact that he betrayed him. He's like, I treated you like a son. You can tear up your SAG card and forget about like, really? That's what you're worried about right now? And he, <laughs> it's like, you're never going to work in this town again. Yeah, he like throws scalding hot coffee in his face. And when he does that, that's what starts the shooting. And then bodies start piling up. Everybody dies, basically. Yeah. Clarence walks out of the bathroom and catches a bullet to the eye. Yeah, the cops, you know, don't make it. The mob doesn't make it. The bodyguards don't make it. I <laughs> like it. Everybody dies. It, it's weird that, like, the three best friends who, like, went in, like, to start everything are the three that walk out. Dumb luck. Oh, yeah, still, absolutely still dumb, dumb luck. luck. Oh, yeah, I, like, Dick just throws the briefcase as a distraction and, like, hightails <laughs> like, it out of there. He doesn't, I love that because he doesn't look for Clarence. He doesn't oh, try, he, he doesn't care. He just immediately is like, see ya, well, and he's out of there. As much as we like Clarence, he is an awful friend. Yeah, he's a very bad he friend. 100% uses Dick, doesn't care when Dick gets, you know, the movie role or the TV role that he was, you know, waiting for. Uh, you know, just kind of, you know, leaves him for the wolves, essentially. And, you know, when it comes down to it, yeah, Dick's just like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> that, this movie really does have a classic Tarantino end to it. Except for, like, when I say end, it kind of all culminates to this just giant explosion of violence. Yeah. There's been a little bit of it here and there of, of violence, but... It's very Tarantino style, yep. right? Where just at the end, all the shit. It's just goes a down. shootout. All the blood, all the bullets. There are feathers flying everywhere. Everybody's dead. Yeah, the crazy buildup. Except for Alabama, she manages to get unscathed, and she sees Clarence laying there, bullet in his eye. Yep, and just turns into a banshee. Picks up the closest gun, fires at you know the cop who actually hit Clarence oh that's right which I don't even know if she realizes that's who shot Clarence when she does it she just sees the closest guy holding a gun and is just like fuck you bam boom yeah even like the dialogue like during the shooting like there's the Italian guy that's on the other side of the couch and Chris Penn's like trying to tell him to get out from behind the couch and the Italian guy's like not understanding so he puts on the fakest Italian accent and he's like come out from behind the couch I compiche and the Italian guy's just like that's better that's better <laughs> like why does that work <laughs> yeah it's very fun even though it's this dark scene where it's a bunch of people killing each other it's still fun but yeah, they escape, uh, they get out unscathed, they get their money, and they hightail it from Mexico. So when you guys watched it, I'm assuming just from the way you started it, the ending that you got was they both live happily ever after, yeah. basically. on the beach with the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
because that was the ending that they that well Tony Scott wanted that movie because he admitted he fell in love with those two he could not bear to part with either one of them originally they were both supposed to die and then Clarence was supposed to die but Alabama was supposed to live and Scott changed it because he just couldn't bear to kill either one of them because if you watch Reservoir Dogs another fun little tie-in for you when Mr. White, Harvey Keitel's character, is introduced yeah. in the bar, the very first thing that is said to him is, how is Alabama? Oh, wow. Because what was supposed to happen was Alabama was supposed to make it, and she was supposed to team up with Mr. White and become a career criminal. Huh. So when that made it into Reservoir Dogs, I think Reservoir Dogs actually got released first. first. Yeah, it did. So at the time, that was what Tarantino was still thinking was going to happen. Okay. But hmm. then Kytel says, I haven't talked to Alabama in years. You know, you push that whole guy-girl relationship thing too much. It gets a little weird. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Because on the DVD copy that I have, it actually has the alternate ending that you can watch where it's just okay. escaping into Mexico, basically. Okay, so a good ending? <laughs> <laughs> Thor because hates driving off ending. into the sunset. Endings. I hate a happy ending. I hate a nice, clean little bow. I need somebody to die. I'm dead inside. Make me feel something, Hollywood. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You're trying to die vicariously through the Hollywood films. Yeah. No, if somebody doesn't die, if everything's happy at the end, I'm like, well, what? Like, what was the point? I, I can give see me, that. I need some sadness. Yeah, I can see that to a degree. <laughs> yeah, no, I... As you would ask me how I feel about the ending earlier. Mm -hmm. You know how I feel. I hate it. Yeah, I kind of thought you it. would. Kind of thought you would. So he's shot in the eye and he just dies in her arms. Dude, that's the perfect ending. And maybe, like you said, she drives off into the sunset. She. It's basically her driving past the you are now entering Mexico sign. Okay. And she. I think she gives some kind of monologue, but it's obviously different. Perfect, you know? yeah, because she's doing the... Kind of the voiceover the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be perfect. I don't know why his dumbass needed to live. <laughs> I think it would have been And better. I don't know why they needed to put his... He's wearing an eye patch and a Hawaiian shirt on a beach. Yeah, like, he's what wearing, is going on? He's it's, wearing Hawaiian shirts like the whole movie, though. That is true. He, he really is kind of like an oddity because he's in Detroit. Yeah. And, you know, he's well, a... Can a we talk at a about book shop and he's in Hawaiian shirts? Can we talk about his <laughs> southern accent and the fact and he lives in Detroit and that his dad doesn't have that same southern accent? Why does he have a southern accent? Is he just insane and trying to be Elvis? Probably. Is that part of it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I don't know. Why does he have a southern accent? And he drives he's a purple Detroit. Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh I think that they both should have died in the end. Oh, you want to go I, out? I, I think that oh, that, no, would, that wouldn't be natural born killer style. No, okay. But but it would be, I think that it would be a better fitting ending for the name of the film. Yeah, because they're, they're like a more uh, traumatic Romeo and Juliet at yeah. that point. Yeah. I, I feel like that would have been, that would have been a great Sure, yeah, she it. shoots the cop and then the cop just lights her up. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I think I'm fine with Alabama surviving i think my issue with if clarence died was how because he didn't like 
Like, he just kind of catches a stray bullet and that's it. He's not involved in the final fight really at all. He just walks out of the bathroom and catches yeah. a bullet and he's dead. Don't you think yeah, that would have been perfect? I kind of like that. Because, <laughs> like just, yeah, through the whole thing, he's delusional, thinking that he's this badass, and, and he just keeps getting he, away with it. And he misses the obvious, oh, you know, something bad's going to happen as soon as I come out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, boom, he's gone. Yeah, I yeah. think that'd be poetic. It'd be perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that it would have been even... Yeah, man. And, and then if she would have gone nuts and killed a couple people going out swinging and then she dies. Yeah, yeah perfect. Like, that's the perfect ending for me. Yeah. I, I think if you, like, you know, do it like how you said and, you know, twist a few things and, yeah. you know, make them more involved in the final the final fight, I, I can get on board with that. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's where I'm at. Uh, we are at about that time, crew where we should we should probably start talking ratings. Bolton, do you have anything else fun to add before we get into that? Yeah, so there were two cameos that were cut, which would have made this cast all the more ridiculous. Okay. So this was like one of Jack Black's first roles. He put <laughs> he put, he play he plays a movie usher in the very beginning of the scene who comes in and tells them to shut up basically while they're talking through the Sonny Chiba movies. That's hysterical. Okay. He, he basically comes in, says, Hey, be quiet, and turns around and leaves. That got cut. And then I guess, so the whole movie, this character of Blue Boyle is mentioned, who is like the mobster, right. whose drugs these belong to, who walk and works for, whatever. I guess De Niro was lined up to play Blue Boyle, and they just couldn't figure out a way to make the scene work. That Well, and that makes it, that is kind of hilarious, that the main big bad, I, I think it adds You don't to the, even see. I yeah. think it adds to the movie overall. But I, it, but yeah, it I is like it, too, it yeah. is kind of funny that the main big bad never meet him. You never see him. You never hear his voice over the phone. He's just and even Christopher Walken, who's probably the most badass character in the whole film, just a real a real old school mafioso type. The Don, that's what they call him, Don Vincenzo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One yep. scene. You get one scene with him. Well, I think that that I think it adds to the allure, right? Sure. Like the the anticipation of the monster is never well is always more scary than the monster than the itself. actual monster itself. Yeah. yeah, so I think that it adds to that. Yeah, no, I I, I liked it. I yeah. thought that was. Uh, I don't know how much of that is fully intentional. I liked it. Yeah, I, I think I would prefer it with it. I would love to see Jack Black. I'd love to see a young Jack Black there. Oh, yeah. He, How old would he have been? Oh, super young, because I think... So, what, this was 93? Yeah. So, I bet... I mean, it, he was just breaking in. He had to have only been in his early 20s, I bet. I'm trying to think of the first thing that I, I, mean, I even think, saw When did in. Mars Attacks comes out? Come out. When did Mars Attacks come out? 97? Yeah, I was going to say late 90s, He's maybe? in that. Oh, wow. He's, okay. He was in the Jackal. He's a young, thin Jack Black in that. He looks in his 20s in that. And that's okay. 97. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. The Jackal was mid-90s. Okay. And that I think that was after this. But The first thing that I really remember seeing him in was Orange County. I think Orange County was like kind of his like big breakout. Okay. Or was he in Four Rooms? I don't remember. It's Jack Black, so if you're listening, yeah, please uh, call into the us, show. Yeah, let us know what was your real like big break. What got you there? He, he, I he was in Never Ending Story Kung, Three. Was it Kung Fu Panda? I'm not sure. 
No one was in Never Ending Story Three. <laughs> Jack Black was. He played no, one of the bullies. Never Ending Story Three doesn't exist. I mean, I'll agree. I'm just saying <laughs> it's a credit <laughs> on his page. Oh, uh, sure. All right. So Bolton, since you recommended this film, you got to give us the category in which to rate the film. So, so on a, uh, on a one, scale of one to ten, one yeah, out of ten, blank. you're so cool. <laughs> Thor, where are we at with this one? Um, let's see. I think I'm going to go eight and a half. Okay. I'm going to go eight and a half. Yeah. I think I was, I was leaning to eight in part because of the score of this film. Cause I really loved the music. Oh, you, okay. Actually. Yeah. I haven't got to talk. You liked the music. I loved the music. I, I don't love the weird island. The like, island theme. It's <laughs> like whole island theme music going the whole time. Uh huh. That doesn't make any sense until you get to the <laughs> shitty ending where they're on the beach with their son. Because yeah. they're in Detroit and it's cold and ugly, mm-hmm. and this guy's fucking a prostitute in a movie. Th- it's like because that he everybody in, movie in this theater. film is delusional. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so- <laughs> I I get it from that stuff, but yeah, I just don't. I just the whole time, every time. Just specifically that part, the kind of island theme score that goes throughout it. Sure. Uh, see, for me, I felt this whole film is horrible things happening and the two main characters just being so in da, love with da, each da, other da, da. that yeah. they're in puppy dog romance. Like the rest of the world doesn't matter. They're just so happy and in love that I feel like the dichotomy between that two, uh, those two things is great. And I feel like the music really lends to the emotions of the main characters. They're just like so into each other that all of this shit that's happening outside of it doesn't matter. To sure, me, it's like... I get that. I don't know. It sucks. It's not... <laughs> the, I don't let... The score sucks. The actual soundtrack pieces, because they use a lot of like um, like old R&B music and Elvis music mm-hmm. and... Uh, they have... So Outshine by Soundgarden is used in this movie for like all of half a second, like for one of Brad Pitt's scenes. Most of their like music budget for the movie went towards getting the rights to use Outshine. Wow. That they used for just a For moment. half a second, yeah. That's funny. So, <laughs> what are we going to do for the rest of the film, guys? I don't know. Let's find some royalty-free Hawaiian music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think they made it specifically for the movie, but I've heard it in, like, commercials and stuff since then, so at least it got, you know, some work after. But anyway, like, sorry, what I was going to say, like, to add on, so f- to me, the music goes with... It, this is Alabama retelling everything. Okay. Because like in the beginning, like she says, I'm looking back on the events and they still don't. So this is her retelling the story to who, whoever is watching it. And with them being in Mexico now, okay. it's like almost her internal soundtrack going along with going the retelling of the movie. Yeah. To go along with the shitty ending. <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> Fuck. It's, it sucks. Stop lying. It sucks. <laughs> it's okay. The movie can still be good, but that part of it, that one part of it sucks. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> oh my. All right. Well, there you have it, <laughs> folks. Eight and a half. Too cool for school. Uh, I forget what he said. Also. You're so cool. You're so cool. It's eight and a <laughs> half. What do you guys think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? This is a fairly old movie, so probably a lot of you have seen this before. If you haven't, though, you should check it out. Um, I don't think that it's streaming anywhere for free. Thor was able to find it for a couple of bucks on Amazon Prime. 
Um, I was able to find it elsewhere. And if you can f- probably go to a Blockbuster, if they still exist, you might be able to find it in the $5 <laughs> no, bin. Uh, the ben- one Blockbuster in Alaska. Go there no. and find this movie. No, it's in Bend, Oregon. There, thank you, Thor. <laughs> Have you watched that documentary? No, I never did. There's a documentary on Netflix called The Last Blockbuster. And it's, it's in good. Oregon? Yeah, Bend, Oregon. Interesting. It's pretty interesting. I don't know if they're still open. I believe they are because it's like a tourist spot now. Huh. It's a fun watch. It's on Netflix. I sure. think I think you would enjoy it, especially as a former I Blockbuster would. employee. Yeah. Man, I wonder if they just turned it into a museum. Like, this is what you used to do. You used to go through the halls and look at <laughs> movies on the wall. That's, you know... Yeah. Just, and it actually also goes into a neat part about how everybody assumes like streaming killed Blockbuster. It was Netflix and all this. And they're like, it really wasn't because Blockbuster had their own boxes they were setting up. They did. Blockbuster had their own streaming service they were about to release. They did. But they did also have the option of buying Netflix. And then they said no to that. Yeah. But what actually like sent them under mm-hmm. is... They were getting ready to release a new streaming service. They had those boxes out, and it was right around the financial crisis of 2008. They just straight up ran out of money. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. They they, they had too much. I, I don't know how. I don't know how stuff like that works, but for whatever reason, they just couldn't continue to pay the bills. Hmm. Well, that makes sense as to why they all just started shutting Where, down. Whereas Netflix kind of was in a great position because they were still new and they were kind of starting up and they didn't have nearly as big of a uh, this corporate giant they were still small and could they they were able to kind of last when blockbuster just well think about the real estate that blockbuster had i mean they i doubt that they owned the properties that they had otherwise they would have been fine probably so they had all of the rental stores that they had to pay for the leases of netflix didn't have any of that Netflix was all online. Uh, I mean, Netflix wasn't even streaming at the time. Yeah, no, it was all through the it, mail. Yeah, it was like, go online, order a DVD, and we'll mail it to you. I, I will say, though, I miss that Netflix because they had a larger catalog and a better catalog. Because well, you could basically get anything you wanted through them at that point. That's true. Oh, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. <clears throat> anyway, folks, that's true romance. I hope that you guys enjoyed the film if you watched it. Um, go see it if you haven't. Seriously, it's a good one. So, with that being said, next time, Thor, what do you got for us? What are we getting into next week? All right, well, I got a music recommendation for oh, you. Oh, boy. Gummo, what? the musical. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole bunch of sad cats how going... Did, how, how did you know? <laughs> Eating spaghetti in the tub. <laughs> All right, the band we had discussed in another episode, a band called Cake. Which you have never listened to. I have to. never listened to Cake. Bolton, have you ever listened to Cake? I know the name, and like if you told me what their big song was from like the early 90s that was on the Now CD, their, I'd probably well, be like, oh yeah! Their big song from the early 2000s came in the form of an iPod commercial. Like when they were dancing silhouettes with the yeah. iPod headphones? Mm. She had a short skirt and a long jacket. Okay, yeah. Okay, yep. Okay. It means nothing to me. I have no I, idea what that is. Once you hear it, you'll still probably, play it on 105.7 on occasion. Oh, you'll geez. probably know. So that's on this album. Okay. Uh, so the band is Cake. 
It is their 2001 album, Comfort Eagle. Okay. Uh, I, it's hard to describe Cake. They are kind of in the, they're in the jam band category, right. I guess, but it's not like a jam band, what you're thinking. Like Blues Travelers area? Yeah, they, you could certainly see them on a festival with Blues Traveler. Okay. They're, it's definitely not like, it's not 10 minute long songs of jamming. Okay. It's really cool music. That I, I think you're going to like it. The singer might rub you the wrong way. I'm not sure. Okay. Because he doesn't really sing so much as he like talks poetry. Hmm. Is it uh, like akin to Me Without You? Uh, yeah, if Me Without You was very happy and fun. Okay, all Inse- right. Instead of, like, sad, angry music, it's happy, fun music. Okay, I'm intrigued. Wait, I, I, ah, uh, yeah, I think you're gonna be interested. The so. only thing that I know about Cake is that it is a lie. That's, that's it. That's uh, all I know. I don't know what that is in reference to. Well, you and I are gonna have to play Portal together. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, next <laughs> Next uh, week, folks, we're going to get into the band Cake, Comfort Eagle. Yes, their 2001 album, Comfort Eagle. All right, Cake, Comfort Eagle. Until next time, folks. As always, you get wrecked. Stay wrecked. Oh, hey, also, uh, Zach, thank you for coming on. Oh, yeah. crap, we forgot about Bolton again. Oh.